first of all, as uh, Rabbi Wallowick just mentioned, it's obvious that there's a lot of serious stuff going on in the world right now. Um, personally, I'll mention that I am the great, 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 maybe one more great grandson of the founder of the Ukrainian town or city of Berdichev. Rabbi Godel was the founder of Berdichev. It was uh, his request to the local landowner, to the local squire, that began Berdichev as a uh, as a settlement in the last in the in the, the late 1600s, and then it flourished and blossomed into the uh, into the thriving Jewish community that it became, and. Uh, Reb Lieber's grave is actually the only grave in the old Jewish cemetery that survived the war. I've never been to it. I've uh, actually spoken with other descendants of Reb Lieber, and we spoke about making a, a trip to uh, the Ukraine and making that visit to our holy ancestor. And uh, God willing, uh, very soon that'll be, that'll be possible. There'll be peace. And uh, our prayer is that there should be peace and security and safety for everyone, everywhere, especially right now for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Um, speaking of Ukraine, it's kind of interesting that the most notable politician in the world right now is a Jewish comedian. <laughs> yeah, the president of Ukraine, President uh, Zelensky is a, not only is he Jewish, but a comedian, a Jewish comedian. What other kind of comedian is there? Um, is there any other kind of comedian? By the way, Robin Williams, who is not Jewish, he should be, he should be, but not Jewish. He said that one time he was in Germany and he was interviewed by the German uh, television reporter and they said, Mr. Williams, why do you think that in Germany we don't have so much comedy? And he said, did it ever occur to you that you killed all the funny people? <laughs> so, <laughs> at any rate, um, the whole world right now has a lot of respect for a Jewish comedian, not just as a Jewish comedian, but as a, a leader. And uh, it's an interesting thing. You know, I remember about 10 years ago, they did a poll of Americans about what's their most trusted news source. And they asked, uh, is it this anchor? Is it that anchor? And the winner, I don't think he was, I think he was a winner by, by write-in. I don't think he was even one of the choices. But Americans said their most trusted news source was Jon Stewart. Again, a Jewish comedian, right? So... I'm thinking that probably um, the solution right now is we just we got to get like Larry David to be like the head of the United Nations, and then Mashiach will be here, and then we'll all be laughing. And so, anyways, um, yeah, let's talk about Jewish humor. What I okay, how am I going to talk about Jewish humor? So I decided what I was going to try to do is come up with the algorithm for the quintessential Jewish joke. So I started thinking about what are the tropes, the motifs that are common in Jewish jokes. And then from there, could I sort of figure out the joke that has the perfect combination of those components blended in perfect harmony, and then I would have the quintessential Jewish joke. At least that's, that's the theory. You get the, the idea, more or less? Okay, fine. So, uh, so I started thinking, what, what's like a big trope in Jewish jokes? What's like a, a common theme? So one of them that occurred to me is, well, not all Jewish jokes are about Judaism, about religion. 
but some of the really good ones are, and there's something very Jewish about joking about religion. We joke about religion, right? So there was once a, uh, an American Jewish family. They were rather assimilated. They were not religious. They were not observant in any way. And so when it was suggested to them to maybe send their son to the local Catholic school, which was much better than the local public school, they didn't really hesitate on any type of theological grounds. It didn't really bother them. They, they figured it's a good private school. So they sent their son to, the Jewish family sent their son to the Catholic school. And we don't believe in it. <laughs> so I have, to, <laughs> I have to preface that my dear friend Chaim Kohn is in the audience. And Chaim has an obsession this is a, it's a two-way street, actually. I've done it to him hundreds of times. He's done it to me hundreds of times, which is stepping on the joke by calling out the punchline. So you're correct. That's, that is the punchline, to, and we don't believe in him. That is correct. Okay, so that's the punchline. And we don't, by the way, we don't need the element of surprise because we all know these jokes, so it's fine. We can say the punchline first. That's not even the point. So the point is we enjoy telling these jokes. It's like... Pesach will come, and you'll tell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, of the Exodus. And we heard it last year. We'll tell it again this year. And it never gets old. Okay. So, and we don't believe in him. That, that's correct. That is Chaim. That is the punchline. So here's... All right. So this assimilated American Jewish family. They send their son to the Catholic school. And he's learning science. He's learning math. He's learning history. Everything's good. He comes home one day from school, and he starts talking about the priest came to our class. He started teaching us about the Trinity. What's the Trinity? He says, well, you know, there's the, there's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the, the Holy Ghost. And the father, the, the boy's father, who's not religious, he, he, he spins around, looks sternly at his son, he says, hey, there's only one God, and we don't believe in him. You got him. Okay. <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a cruise ship, which was, uh, it, it sank. On, uh, on the seas, and they couldn't find the ship for like a year. And then some helicopter found uh, one lone survivor. who sur he, he survived. He, he washed up on an island, and for a year, he lived by himself on this island. So, what? Yeah. You know what? I open it up to everyone. Okay. We'll make it a race. How about <laughs> that? We'll gamify it, and we'll see. Okay. So Chaim correctly said, that's the one that I don't daven. At. That's correct. Okay, but we'll make it a, a competition. We'll see who can jump out with the punchline first. It's like so, of jokes. It's like the jeopardy of jokes. That's right. That's correct. Right. Okay. So you have to say the answer in the form of a question, which is very Jewish, by the way, because we don't answer a question with an answer. We answer with another question. Okay. So, uh, well, that's the show that I don't have in it. Correct. Okay. So they uh, found this one guy who survived on this desert island, and uh, the news crews came, and they were, they were uh, very impressed to see that he had built a life for himself. He would made huts out of grass and uh, bamboo, coconut shells, you know, like Gilligan's Island-style technology. And uh, so he was showing them, this is the house that, that, that I lived in, where I took shelter for these, for these 12 months. They walked a little further on the island, and they saw another hut. What's this hut? Well, you know, I'm Jewish. This is my synagogue where I prayed every day. They walked a little further down the island. They saw another hut. They said, what's that hut? He says, well, that's another synagogue. And they said, well, but you already have a synagogue. He says, yeah, but that's the synagogue that I won't step foot in. <laughs> okay. Anyways, okay, that's the synagogue I won't step foot in. Okay, um, Yeah. Uh, religious jokes. Okay, that's, that's the thing. Jokes about religion. So there was a there was a Jew. He uh, made Aliyah. He moved to uh, to Israel, and uh, you know that they tax appliances over there very heavily. So when you come as a, as a citizen, when you uh, immigrate, so then you're allowed to bring your own possessions with you. You just can't bring extra for uh, resale. So a guy pulls into customs with seven refrigerators. So they say, yo, sir, are you going to sell these refrigerators? He says, no, no, God forbid. These are my personal, this is personal use. Well, why do you need seven refrigerators? He says, listen, I'm very religious. 
So I need you know, meat and milk separate. That's an extra stringency I have that I don't even put them in the same refrigerator. So I have a meat refrigerator and a milk refrigerator. They said, okay, that's two, but now you, know, you have seven. So how do you account for five more? He says, well, I have meat and milk for the regular year, and I have meat and milk for Passover as well. They said, okay, well, that's, that's four. How do you account for the other three? He says, well, sometimes I have parv. So that's another one, but there's parv for the regular year, and then there's parv for Pesach. So customs officials doing the math. He said, well, you're up to six now. You brought seven. He says, listen, does it bother you if once in a while I eat a little treif? <laughs> okay. So now that's a joke about uh, irreverence toward religion. Now I'll give you a fl the flip side, the opposite, opposite joke. There was a guy who um, he would always look for leniencies, rabbinic loopholes. He would always look for like the most lenient opinion that he could find. And uh, you know, when, when he would defend himself, he would tell people, well, you know, this is according to some opinions. There are some opinions. There is an opinion that this is, this is valid. And th th that's how he would always do things. So anyways, he went through his whole life doing that. And he would always defend himself. So according to some opinions, oh, yeah, so there are... There are those opinions who hold that this is perfectly acceptable. Um, so then after 120, as we say, after 120, uh, he passes away and he goes to the heavenly court and they look at his life and they say, okay, good, you're in, going to uh, heaven. And they bring him in to a six-foot by eight-foot room with brick walls, no windows, and a naked light bulb hanging from the ceiling and a concrete floor. So he says, this, this is heaven? And the angel who's escorting him in says, according to some opinions. <laughs> according to some opinions. Okay. At any rate, okay, fine. So those are, those are some religious jokes. Then what else are like themes of, of Jewish jokes? Um, criticizing power, criticizing power structures, uh, poking fun at those who are above you, punching up, as they say, never ridiculing the downtrodden, God forbid, but using humor as a way almost of, of, of protest. Now, in modern history, there's a great rich tradition of Soviet humor poking fun at the Soviet regime as a, as a form of protest. Um, there's an old Jew sitting in Gorky Park with a Chumash, uh, and a police officer comes over to him. He says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm studying Hebrew. He says, old man, you are never going to, first of all, you'll never get a visa to leave, to leave the Soviet Union, to go to Israel. But even if you did, you know how long it takes to process such a request. You're an old man. You're going to die before it happens. So he says, I, I understand that. But you, see, you have to understand, I'm not studying Hebrew um, because I'm going to speak it in Israel. I'm, speaking, I'm, I'm studying Hebrew because when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to meet my holy ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they spoke Hebrew, so I want to be able to converse with them. That's why I'm learning Hebrew. So the police officer says, and what if you go to hell? The old Jewish man says, Russian I already know. <laughs> Okay, um, it's an old Soviet joke. There's the joke about the, the judge who uh, walks into his uh, chambers and he's giggling. It takes 70 years. <laughs> How many? Did he... 70. 70? Okay, I, your punchline is more severe than mine. So he says, uh, the, the judge walks into his chamber and he's giggling and the bailiff sees him giggling. He says, uh, comrade, what are you giggling? He says, no, no, I, I can't tell you. He says, why not? He says, well, I heard a, a joke. He says, just tell me the joke. He says, I can't. I just gave the guy who told it 70 years in Siberia. Okay, so. Um, you know the guy who calls the KGB? He says, KGB, um, if uh, an escaped parrot flies into your window, I just want you to know, I don't agree with any of his political opinions. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So then, so those are jokes that are like protest jokes, making fun of... Um, of uh, oppressive regimes, 
then there's also like social critique, making fun of uh, internally the powers that be. There's a lot of that too, like making fun internally within the Jewish community, the power structures. It's a very Jewish thing to sort of poke fun at those who are in charge. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a great tradition of, uh, of sort of, uh, you could even, even call it a little bit like cynical uh, jokes about rabbis. So uh, there, there, there's a, there was an old rabbi who became deaf in his old age. And uh, somebody asked him, well, why did you become deaf? And he says, well, you know what the Torah says about taking bribes. You know, when a rabbi is a judge to hear a deliberate, to deliberate and hear a case, and if, you know, he takes bribes, it could affect him uh, that way. So the person says, well, rabbi, it says actually that sheichad yavir pikichin, that bribery blinds uh, those who can see. And you're saying you became deaf. He says, yeah, well, I heard a lot of promises. I never saw the money. Okay. <laughs> so a little bit, you know, poking fun at, uh, I guess, corruption there, rabbinic corruption. Um, yeah. And then there's like more innocent things, foibles that rabbis exhibit, like talking too long. Uh, that's, you know, a lot of jokes about that. You know, there was a rabbi in Los Angeles where they have a lot of congregants who are in the industry, and the industry in Los Angeles means entertainment. So there was a guy who worked for NBC, and he comes to the rabbi and says, listen, NBC wants to give you... He came to him after uh, Kol Nidre, and he says to him, listen, rabbi, your, your Kol Nidre sermon, hour-long sermon, beautiful hour-long sermon, um, NBC wants to have a, a clergyman come on and inspire 12 million people during prime time um, but the thing is, the time slot, it's not, it's not an hour. I know your sermon's an hour. Um, the time slot is 48 minutes. Do you think you could condense your beautiful hour-long Kol Nidre sermon into 48 minutes? And uh, he says, uh, you know what? You know, I could cut out some of the extra bits. And yeah, I think I could get it down to 48 minutes. So uh, then uh, he comes back to him a few days later, the guy. And he says, uh, Rabbi, listen, the, and, and NBC still wants to give you the time, prime time. There's going to be 12, 12 million people watching. But it's not 48 minutes now. It's 24 minutes. Do you think you could take your hour-long beautiful Kulnidra sermon? you think you could say it in 24 minutes? The rabbi's like, well, no, let me think. Okay, you know, there's that one story that really proves the same point as that other story. I could take out that long story. And, uh, you know, he's, okay, yeah, you know what? I could condense my Kulnidra speech to 24 minutes. No problem. So then a few days later, the guy comes over and says, Rabbi, NBC still wants to have you on, no problem, but right now it's, it's, it's 12 minutes. They can only give you 12 minutes. Could you take your beautiful Kol Nidre sermon and t take it from an hour? Could you cut it down to 12 minutes? The rabbi thinks. He says, you know what? I think, yes, yes, I could. I could say it, I could say it in 12 minutes. He says, great, I'll get back to you. I'll let you know the details when you're going to come down to the studio. It's all going to be good. Finally, he comes back to him and says, Rabbi, this is, I'm sorry. They're giving you five minutes. Can you take your beautiful hour-long Kol Nidre sermon and could you preserve the essence of it and say it in five minutes? The rabbi says, you know what? I could. And the guy says, so rabbi, why didn't you? Okay, all right. Why didn't you? Okay. Um, yeah. So then, let's see here. I, I just... Listen, listen. I, I, and I never know which ones are going to be the be funnier for this audience. Um, who knows? You never know. Um, you know the you know the one about okay. This is a little bit about like sanctimonious, like religious posturing or arrogance. The joke about what do you say? Look who thinks he's nothing. That's right. Everyone knows that one. Look who thinks he's nothing. Okay. What is, look who thinks he's funny. I have to formulate in the, in the form of a question. So there's a, <laughs> Jeopardy. So the, 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 the rabbi, at, uh, you know, you said it, Kol uh, That's a good time. You know, it's just a good time for jokes. Um, by the way, Kol is a good time for jokes. I'll tell you why, because that's when most people come to shul. So first, I'll, let me pause this joke for a second. I'm going to tell you another joke for a second. There was this guy who, would, who was a once a year Jew. who would only come Kol Nidre. would only come that, that one night, night of Yom Kippur. 
And so the rabbi decides one year, he's like, you know what, I gotta like confront this guy. I'm gonna like with love, but I want him to come around more often. So uh, <coughs> the rabbi sees the guy heading out of shul. He sort of sort of cuts him off at the pass. He stands in front of him. He says, he says, you know, uh, Murray, you know, Jewish joke, it was Murray. Okay, so he says, <laughs> he says Murray, <laughs> Bernie, Murray, whatever. Okay, so he says to him, Murray, you know, we have services here at the synagogue. Um, Every, every, every Shabbos. And the, the guy says, Murray says, Rabbi, listen, you're a good guy. I like you, so I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, the synagogue is boring. It's boring. I can't come here every Shabbos. It's just boring. Every time I come here, it's just the same thing over and over again. Kol nidre, kol nidre, kol nidre. <laughs> every time. Like, okay. At any rate, so it was kol nidre, and uh, the rabbi uh, is moved to uh, all of a sudden this, this emotional display, and he walks up in front of the the the, 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 the holy ark, and uh, he, he throws his hands heavenward, and he says, Master of the worlds, I am nothing before you. I am nothing. I am nothing. I am nothing. And then he falls on the ground, and he starts groveling. He's rolling, and he's weeping. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. So the chazan sees this, not to be outdone. So the chazan runs next to the rabbi, he throws his hands heavenward, says, Master of the Worlds, look at me, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. And he, he takes a dive also, he starts rolling around on the ground, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. So the rabbi's rolling, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. The chazan's rolling around, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. So the shamash, you know, the custodian of the show, the guy who cleans up. So he sees this going, he doesn't want to be left out, he sees this is what you do. So he dives into the, you know, the, 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 where they're rolling around, he starts groveling, he's rolling, he says, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. The chazan elbows the rabbi. He says, no, look who thinks he's nothing. <laughs> Get a load of who thinks he's nothing. Okay. Anyway, <coughs> so we have jokes that make fun of, you know, pompous, what do you call it, pompousness and arrogance and, you know, uh, but like I said, punching up. A lot of punching up jokes. Does punching up include the mother-in-law jokes? No, 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 no. That's, that's, well, it depends on the mother-in-law, but... You know what? I thought about that, about the mother-in-law jokes. Most, most of them are not Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, so those, that, you're talking about the Jewish mother jokes. Okay, so Chaim is requesting. So uh, he, he, he's aware of something that I had once said, that I learned that all of the Jewish mother jokes were... Um, replaceable with the codependent jokes. They're in, the, in the world of recovery, they're codependent jokes. So basically, all the jokes about codependence in the recovery world, you could make them Jewish mother jokes. You just substitute Jewish mother for codependent, and, and the jokes all work perfectly. So like the, what do you call it, the, the famous Jewish mother joke is, how many Jewish mothers does it take to change a light bulb? Don't worry about me. I'll sit in the dark. Right, OK, fine. So that's a codependent joke. But anyway, so I, but you know, interestingly enough, in the end, I did not include Jewish mother jokes as one of the main, it was too specific, it was like a niche. It was like too specific of a category. So I did not, I did not include that. Okay, but another category that I did include is about Yiddish pikachus, cleverness, wit, outsmarting the bad guys. Like the heroes, the protagonists of many Jewish jokes and a joke is a story, and a story has characters, even though we don't think of it that way because there's very short stories. But the heroes of the jokes, the protagonists of the jokes, very often were cheering for their wit, where they don't have other advantages. They use wit to prevail. Um, so regarding, like, cleverness, just laughing at cleverness. So there's a, there's a joke. A guy calls, uh, a guy doesn't have any money, needs to make some money. What can he do? How can he make money? He doesn't have anything to sell. He doesn't have any skills that anyone will pay him for. So <coughs> he, he calls up a guy he knows who, who has a daughter of marriageable age. And he says, uh, listen, uh, could I uh, propose a match? I'm in the Shadchanis business. I'm in the matchmaking business now. Could I propose for you a match for your daughter? So the guy's like, we're, we're not really looking right now. So the guy says... And what if I were to tell you that the young man that I'm proposing for your daughter 
is Lord Rothschild's son. So he's like, wow, that's okay. Maybe, you know what? Well, yes, we're in. Okay. So then the guy picks up the phone and he calls Rothschild. He says, Lord Rothschild, listen, I want to propose a shidduch for your son. He says, we're not looking right now. and We're not interested. He says, uh, but, uh, wait, hold on, hold on. Did I mess up the joke? Did I mess it up? He calls the first guy. Does the first guy have the son? How does it go? The first guy has the son? Let me try it again. He calls the guy with the son, and he says, do you want a daughter? How does it go, Paula? How does it go? What is, do you call this living? No, no it's not do you call this living, which, by the way, Sigmund Freud wrote a book about Jewish humor. Sigmund Freud wrote a book about Jewish humor, and he put the do you call this living joke in the book. And well, there's two versions of the do you call this living joke. The one of them is the, the famous joke about the KGB comes to the door and in, in, in Moscow in the middle of the night, and they knock on the door, and a little uh, a guy answers the door, and they say, does, Rabbi, does Rabinovich live here? And Rabinovich is always the Jewish character in the Russian jokes. So the little guy says, um, no, he doesn't live here. So half an hour later, KGB comes, knocks the door again. He says, Rabinovich live here. No, no, he doesn't live here. The KGB comes back half an hour later with a picture, and they hold up the picture, and they say, you see this guy, you see this picture? This looks just like you. You're Rabinovich. Why do you keep saying Rabinovich doesn't live here? He says, no, you call this living? <laughs> so <laughs> Freud, has, it, it, Freud has a version of the joke that a shadchan uh, uh, proposed a match and that the, 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 the family of the girl came to complain to the shadchan and they said, you said that the boy's father passed away. We found out he was a criminal and he's sitting in prison. And the shadchan says, no, you call that living? So anyways, but that's the, you call that living. What's the Rothschild do? Let me, let me see if I can fumble through it. A guy calls his friend. And he says, I, I, want, I have a shidduch for you. I believe it's for your daughter. Okay, no, he says, we're not looking. He says, well, but this is Rothschild's son. Maybe he calls the guy who has the son. I think he called, yeah, he calls the guy who has the son. He says, it's Rothschild's daughter. So he's like, okay, yeah, I'm interested. Then he calls Rothschild. He's like, I have a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he calls Rothschild and says, I have a guy for your daughter. And Rothschild's like, I'm not really interested. He says, yeah, but this guy... He's already, he's a young guy, and he's already vice president at the World Bank. He's like, okay, fine, we're, we're, we're interested. Daddy picks up the phone, he calls the World Bank. He says, I have a vice president for you. They said, we have enough, enough vice presidents, we don't need another. He says, Rothschild's son-in-law. <laughs> That's it. That's okay, got it. Okay. That was... <laughs> and you have to say the punchline like that, like Rothschild, son like a question, like, rhetorical question like you wouldn't take Rothschild son-in-law as a <coughs> okay so that's that's like cleverness okay what other what, what cleverness um you know the one about the what it's working already? what it's working already that was the next time that was the next one I'm not even joking it's working already was the next one that I was going to tell this is uncanny the, the, there was a Jew on a train there's many different setups for this there's a Jew on a train and uh so the anti-semitic uh what do you call the guys on the train the conductor comes over, and uh, he sees the Jew on the train. He's like, he brought his own food. He has to bring, bring kosher food on the, you know, on the trip. He's eating this, this herring. So he says, let me ask you something, Jew. He says, what makes you Jews so smart? All you Jews are so smart. What makes you so smart? He says, you want to know honestly? Because we eat herring, and herring makes us smart. He said, well, give me some of that herring. He's like, it's 50 rubles. So he says, here, here, here you go. And he buys the herring for 50 rubles. An hour later, the conductor comes back to the seat where the Jew is sitting. He says, Jew, that piece of herring costs five rubles. I just realized you sold me a five-ruble piece of herring for 50 rubles. And the Jew smiles and says, you see, it's working already. <laughs> working already. Okay. Um, yeah, Chaim, what's my next joke about Jewish <laughs> cleverness? There was the rabbi, the priest... And the pastor, and they were playing poker, and it was illegal to gamble. So the police came in, the police chief came in to break up the gambling, <coughs> and he sees them gambling. 
and uh, they all sort of like throw the cards down onto the table because they're caught red-handed. And uh, the police chief says, Father O'Malley, were you uh, gambling? So Catholic priest, uh, Father O'Malley, he, he looks heavenward and says, God, please forgive me just this one time. I'm going to tell one little white lie. He turns to the police chief and he says, no, I was, I was not gambling. It's okay, fine. And then he turns to uh, the, 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 the pastor. He says, uh, Pastor, where, where, were you gambling? And he looks heavenward and says, God, just one time, one little white lie. And he says, uh, no, no, I got to tell you, I was not. I was not gambling. And the police chief looks at the rabbi and says, Rabbi, were you gambling? And the rabbi says, with whom? <laughs> with whom? Nobody's... <laughs> okay. Uh, you know the one about the, the, the priest and the rabbi who run into each other, a car accident? You know that one? A classic one? Yeah, so a little fender bender. They get, each get out of the car. And uh, the priest is like, oh, rabbi, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And the rabbi is like, listen, don't worry. It's like we don't know whose fault it is. Listen, let's just celebrate. You know what? I have in the trunk, I happen to have some uh, kosher wine. You ever try some nice kosher wine? Let's have, let's, let's say l'chaim. The, the, the priest says, sure, that's, that sounds very nice. So the rabbi comes out with a bottle, opens it up, and he pours a glass for the priest. He says, l'chaim. And he drinks, the priest drinks the, the wine. He says, rabbi, go ahead, you going to have some? The rabbi says, no, I'm going to wait for the police to get here. <laughs> Okay, so Jewish <laughs> cleverness. Um, here's one that combines cleverness with punching up and criticizing corrupt power structures. So it's like, it's a two for one. Um, two Jews are walking, and uh, it could be set in Soviet Russia, could be set in Nazi Germany, but the point is, the setting of the joke is that the policeman is behind them, and one says to the other, I don't have my papers, and I'm not allowed, a Jew's not allowed to be out without their papers. So the other one says, don't worry, I have my papers. You walk normal, I'll run. That way, the policeman will chase me, not you, and then I'll show him my papers. Perfect plan. So the one without the papers walks off slowly. <clears throat> the one with the papers, with the identifying papers, starts running. So the policeman starts chasing him. Stop, stop, stop. So finally, after he feels that his friend is safely home, the, the Jew who took off running lets the cop catch him. And uh, he says, show me your papers. So he takes out his papers. And uh, the policeman looks at him. And he's like, well, everything here is in order. Why did, why did you run? He's like, honestly, officer, I, I, I didn't know you were running after me. And uh, I just, I, I was running. He's like, why? Why would you just be running? In the middle of the night, you're just running? He says, well, my doctor told me that I have to run in a, a mile a day for my health. So that's why I was running. He says, but you saw me. I saw you look back and you saw me running behind you. He said, I thought maybe you see the same doctor. <laughs> maybe you see the same doctor. Okay. So, Jewish cleverness, yeah. Uh, you know the one about the... the same Jewish doctor. What? The same Jewish doctor. The same Jewish doctor, maybe. Um, yeah, they say... A Jew I don't even know if this is true. This could be real. I'm talking about Jewish doctors, but this might even be real. That they, they, somebody asked uh, Zelensky's mother about, are you proud of your son? She says, his brother's a doctor. <laughs> I think it's true, by the way. I think it's actually... I think it's real. Okay, anyways, um, fine. So we have religious-themed jokes. We have jokes of critiquing power structures. We have jokes that exhibit cleverness. So then I was trying to think of like another like archetypical category. So then I, I, I decided, this is just my discretion, I decided that chutzpah jokes are like, <laughs> That's a rabbinical expression for they, they deserve their own blessing. They, they get their own title, their own category. Jokes about chutzpah, as opposed to 
the joke where the, the protagonist exhibits wit, there are jokes where the protagonist exhibits chutzpah. And sometimes a combination of wit and chutzpah, which is what makes me think they're two different categories, which sometimes converge. So the, there, there was an old lady on a bus, and she sees this young woman who's seated, and she says, Oive, if you knew what I have, you would give up your seat for me. So the young lady gets up. She says, go ahead, go ahead, sit down. So the old lady takes the seat. Then uh, it's hot. So the, the young lady takes out a fan. She starts fanning herself. And the old lady says, Oi, if you knew what I have, you'd give me your fan. Okay, fine, here's the fan. The old lady fans herself. A little while later, she gets up. She goes over to the bus driver. She's like, stop right here. He's like, we're going to stop at the end of the block. She says, Oi, if you knew what I have, you'd stop right here. He says, okay, fine, no problem. He stops, and she's getting off the bus. Bus driver's like, lady, by the way, you know, what do you have? She says, chutzpah. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, the definition of chutzpah is an orphan. Oh, I stepped on the punchline. A person who kills his parents and pleads to the judge for mercy because he's an orphan. Boom. There you go. Okay. Um, uh, there are jokes that combine chutzpah with some theological or religious themes. Uh, one of the classics, one of the classics, the lady who... He had a hat. Very good. Chaim. <laughs> he had a hat. Everyone knows this, yeah? So the old lady, she goes down to the... She goes to the boardwalk. <laughs> so... She goes down to the boardwalk, and uh, she's uh, her little anacle, her little grandson, is playing uh, on the beach. And all of a sudden, there's this crazy wave out of nowhere. And it just washes up on shore, and then the wave goes back, and the little boy's gone. It's gone. Like, oh, my gosh, what happened? So the lady, she screams up at the skies, and she says, Send him back right now. You can't take him. Send him back. And then there's another wave, and when the next wave comes up on shore, it gently sets the little boy right back down in the spot where he was taken from, and he's sitting there, totally calm, just like he'd been before the first wave came and took him. And she looks up at heaven, and she says, no, he had a hat. <laughs> he had a hat, right? Like the little boy came back on shore, but he had a hat. Like, send another wave, send the hat. It's chutzpah, right? Chutzpah toward whom? I guess chutzpah toward God, which is a like a Jewish thing. I mean, you that took goes. Us out of for this. That which one? No, it's an older you stumped me. Joke. Oh, you're saying that's an actual thing in the Bible, right? Where the Jews are are, are are griping to Moses. You took us out of Egypt for this, right? It goes back even further though, because it goes back to to Abraham. Abraham would argue with God, like the chutzpah. And the argumentation and the, you know, the, the logic, and I'm talking about with, with Sodom and Gomorrah. So, like, huh? Oh, yeah, Adam, yeah, yeah, Adam and Eve. Adam uh, showed the chutzpah to, to God. So, but with Abraham, it's actually extolled as a virtue. With Adam, it's, it's not a virtue. With, but with, with Abraham, it's a virtue. So it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's holy chutzpah. So it's like we're actually rooting for his chutzpah. Um, what else do I have here? Okay, so I was talking to my brother. Some people know my brother, David Taub, who is uh, probably one of the funniest people I know. He's very famous for the Itchigadoozy show, which is a puppet show that was on Chabad.org for many, many years. And he did a lot of other stuff, a lot of other projects, like uh, if I named them, I'm, I'm going to forget some of them, but he made like Mitzvah Island, made stick figure vignettes, and he made uh, Mitzventions and uh, Space Rabbi. He did a lot of different projects. But at any rate, <coughs> David is one of the funniest guys I know. So I was speaking to him uh, in preparation for this talk, and I was speaking about like religious-themed humor and chutzpah humor and how they converge and how sometimes like it could even seem heretical. So... Uh, he, he, he reminded me of a story. He was, 
the night activity director in uh, the Detroit Camp Gan Yisrael. And night activity director is supposed to uh, basically be a constant stand-up comedian. And he was concerned about it on uh, Talmudic grounds because it says, the, the Gemara says in, uh, in Sanhedrin that leitzonis, which means uh, scoffing or mockery, is prohibited with one exception. Uh, you're allowed to make fun of idolatry. So he, sa he said to himself, how many Baal Pa'er jokes can I make already? You know, like how many, you can only make fun of idolatry, you know. So he went to the camp rabbi and he asked the question. He said, you know, <clears throat> I'm only I have to make jokes all the time, but I can only make fun of idolatry. So uh, Rabbi Lifshitz, the, the camp rabbi there, told him, when you learn chassidus, <clears throat> that means the, the mystical teachings, the spiritual teachings of the Hasidic masters, your definition for idolatry will expand. In other words, <laughs> the more richly you understand what it means to serve Hashem and what is not serving Hashem, then the, 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 the more uh, material you have, because the more things you can make fun of. Because you realize that that too, Aveda Zara literally means foreign service, service of something foreign to us other than serving the one God. So it's not just making Baal Pa'er jokes, you know, about, you know, biblical idolatry. That anything that's not serving God is foreign service and you're allowed to make fun of. So like greed and, and, and the pump, you know, pompous, arrogant, uh, self-serving uh, uh, character defects, the, that, that, that's, that's also a form of idol worship. It's foreign service. So, you know, there are, there are jokes making fun of those, those, those foibles and those, those human weaknesses because that's foreign to the service of God. Uh, but, but my brother, David, he pointed out something very interesting. He said that, you know, regarding heretical jokes, he said, to an idol worshiper, your joke is heretical, meaning you are blaspheming his belief. So think about this. He said, as your idea of what is truly God becomes more mature and more developed, and you realize that your previous understanding was actually not theologically sound, so really, <laughs> things that become the object of derision today, you used to revere yesterday and would even think it would be heretical to make fun of it. But really, it's not heretical to make fun of it. It's actually the most religious thing you can do is to make fun of and disabuse yourself of the old notions which are incorrect so that you can graduate into loftier understandings of God that are more correct. Or in the words of Levi Yitzchak Bardichever, who was confronted by an angry young atheist. He said, young man, the same God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. So I would, I'll take the liberties to translate that to, you know, the same beliefs that you are mocking, I will also mock. So false piety, sanctimonious religiosity, those are targets. Those are fair game. We should mock those. God forbid we don't mock that which is holy, but as we mature, we realize things that we used to think were holy were really just our own personal agenda that we were justifying in the name of holiness. And that's actually the best stuff to make fun of. Anyways, that was a deep conversation I had with, with, with the funniest guy that I know. And he is the funniest guy that I know, and yet whenever I talk to him, we always have very deep philosophical conversations. Um, Okay, so let me, I, I have a couple more subcategories, but okay, very, very quickly, I'll just tell you a couple more subcategories. Um, one, one is paradox, jokes that have paradox in them. Um, 
where it's the paradox that makes it funny. Like, it, it, you, could almost, you could almost call it like the flip. It's the flip. So the punchline is an, an inversion of the setup. So like, two Jewish businessmen go out for lunch, and one says to the other, ask me how's business. And he's like, no, nah, come on, I just want to enjoy lunch. I don't want to talk about business. He's like, come on, ask me how's business. He's like, no, 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 I just want to, I just want to eat. I don't want to talk about business. He says, listen to me. Ask me how's business. It'll be a business lunch, and we'll write it off. He says, okay, fine. How's business? He says, Oyve, don't ask. <laughs> so that's the paradox. You can't tell somebody don't ask unless they ask. Okay. Um, my grandfather, Oliver Shalom, who um, his parents were from Berdichev. Uh, he was born in, uh, in America already, but his parents were from Berdichev. And he used to tell a joke that he heard <coughs> from them and from, from many of the other uh, you know, their, their, their peers, the old, <coughs> the old Russian immigrants to Chicago back in that era. So this is one of the jokes they hear. The one time, <coughs> this is again, this is a, a paradox joke, a flip, where <laughs> the punchline is an inversion of the setup. Like you can't have the, the, the payoff that makes sense without the setup that doesn't make sense or something like that. At any rate, so this guy goes, and, and my grandfather used to act this out very like, um, with a lot of like flair. A guy goes to the, to the tailor. He's running late for a, a wedding, and he's like, I got to pick up my suit. The wedding starts in 20 minutes. So he puts on the, the suit, and he starts screaming at the tailor. He's like, this, this whole suit, it doesn't fit. And the tailor's like, what wrong? what's wrong? It looks fine. He's like, no, this sleeve here is too long. He's like, well, if the sleeve's too long, bend your elbow like that. It takes up some of the cloth, and it makes the sleeve even out. He's like, yeah, but this leg is too long. He's like, well, then bend your knee like this, and then it takes up some of the cloth, and then you know, it evens out. He says, but the front is longer than the back. He says, so then you, bet, you go like this, and then the front evens out with the back. He's like, I don't have time to argue with you. I'm going. So he's walking down the street. This is how my grandfather did it. He's walking down the street like this, and two women walk by, and uh, they see him. They sort of avert their gaze. You know, they're sort of uncomfortable. They see this guy walking down the street like this, and one woman says to the other, Nabuch, such a cripple. The other says, yeah, but his tailor must be a genius <laughs> to be able to make a suit fit perfectly. Okay, <clears throat> so that's the flip. That's like the... <clears throat> and then... Uh, okay, Any, I have other subcategories. It doesn't matter. Okay. So I said, you know, there are Jew Jewish jokes that are about Jew Jewish religion and Jewish jokes that are about punching up and social critique and, and criticizing uh, power structures. And then there are Jewish jokes about Jewish wit and cleverness. Uh, there are Jewish jokes about chutzpah, audacity. And there's Jewish jokes about the flip, the inversion. Okay, so I, I put this all into my uh, special uh, computer, my Jewish comedy computer. And I said, what is then the ultimate Jewish joke? And actually, before, while I was waiting for the computer to compute, I, it occurred to me that the ultimate Jewish joke has to be the joke that would make God laugh. This is what we call, in 2022, God-tier humor. Okay, The joke that would make God laugh. Now, where do we know of a joke that made God laugh? What is your, I guess you have to be there. Oh, no, that's yeah, another one. That, but but that's, that's another it's joke. Right? And it's blasphemous, and it's shocking, and it makes everybody cringe. But I'll tell it because you said the punchline, um, and most people can't handle it. Right. And it really kills the mood. Well, whoever and, can't handle it, I guess, that's Donna versus Hitler. Right. You can't handle it, maybe. So the joke is, it's, it's, it's a, yeah. So I'll, no, I'll tell it. I mean, it's a, it's a real Jewish joke. And you can, you can think about why it disturbs you. And you can think about if there's something deeper. Remember, by the way, I didn't even discuss about the fact that the title of this talk was Every Truth Has a Little Joke. And that itself is an inversion, that we say that every joke has a little truth. But the reality is that every truth has a little joke, meaning to say the main thing is the truth. It's not even the joke. The joke is just the way of dressing up the truth so people will listen to it. 
The joke is just the way to disarm people so they'll listen to things that are true that they don't, they don't want to hear. Anyways, I mean, you want me to tell the joke? I mean, it's not, no one's going to laugh at you this point. A Holocaust survivor passes away. And this is already like the, so morbid and tragic. A Holocaust survivor passes away and, and goes to heaven. And they said, you want to meet God? He says, yeah, I have some things I want to say to him. And so God is like, you know, welcome to heaven. And he says, so the Holocaust survivor says, um, I want to tell you a joke about the Holocaust. God says, it's not funny. The Holocaust survivor says, I guess you had to have been there. <laughs> yeah. It, it's the one that bites. It bites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Searing. Yeah, yeah, it's a bad one. You said it wrong on purpose. No, I didn't say it wrong. I took the joke out of it. Okay, okay, but I thought that's what we agreed to do, that we're taking the joke out of it. So we're taking out the joke, we're just leaving the truth. Okay, anyway. So, but that joke God did not laugh at. I'm talking about the joke that God did laugh at. And we... And how do we know that God laughed at it? And by the way, if you would read the story, you wouldn't even think it was a joke. You'd be, why is God laughing? But the Talmud says that God laughed. That the Holy One, blessed be He, was laughing. What was He laughing at? So I'll tell you the story. It's a Gemodim Bava Basra. There was a dispute. You would not even think this is a joke with this setup. There was a dispute about the purity and impurity. We're talking about ritual, not hygiene. Ritual purity and impurity status of a particular kind of oven. And the chachomim, that means the majority of sages, were ruling one way. And Rabbi Eliezer, who was one of the sages, was ruling another way. So they, were, they came to, which is a very common Jewish thing, two Jews, three opinions, right? The Jewish Talmudic dialectic argumentation. Um, so that's a very common thing. But what happened is that Rabbi Eliezer felt that even though he was the one, he was the, the uh, minority opinion, he was the lone opinion, that he was correct. So he started trying to prove himself so he started to, um, I guess you would call it, uh, work miracles. So he said, if I am correct, let the carob tree prove it. And the carob tree uprooted and moved 100 amais. That's like 150 feet. Some say 400 amais. At any rate, the you know, tree is you know, jumping up and, and, and moving. That's, that's pretty uh, unusual. And... Um, so the sages, led by Rabbi Yeshua, said, so, you know, so you made a carob tree jump up. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. You don't win the argument. So he says, so if I'm right, let the river prove it. And the river reversed its stream and started going uphill. He says, what do you say about that? And they, they, again, the sages, led by Rabbi Yeshua, said, the river doesn't prove anything. So he said, if I'm right, let the walls of the yeshiva, of the base Medrash, where we study, let them prove it. And the walls all leaned in at like this freakish angle and just started hanging there. And uh, so Rabbi Yeshua again said, the walls of the base Medrash don't prove anything. So at that point, Rabbi Eliezer says, if I'm right, let heaven prove it. And a heavenly voice Baskoil, a heavenly voice, issued forth and said, Why are you guys arguing with Rabbi Eliezer? You know the halacha, the final ruling, always follows him. Now that should be the end of the story. That should be it. And what happens? The sages, led by Rabbi Yeshua, they counter, they counter that heavenly voice. And they say, a verse from the Torah, incidentally, they, they quote scripture, and they say, <laughs> It's not in heaven. The Torah is not in heaven, meaning it was given, it came from heaven, but there was matan Torah, which means the giving of the Torah. At Sinai, at Sinai, God gave us, gave us the Torah. So it's ours now. So he says, Rabbi Shua says, 
He, he says out the passage, he screams the, the verse, he says the scriptural, he invokes the scripture. He says, it's not in heaven. He's telling Taita what Taita says. <laughs> he says, Taita is not in heaven. We don't pay attention to heavenly voices. So what chutzpah? He's telling the heavenly voice, we don't listen to you. So it says that sometime after this incident, Another one of the sages, Reb Nassim, ran into a Liohan Navi, Elijah the prophet. You know Elijah the prophet. He's going to be at your Seder soon in, uh, what, six weeks? Don't want to freak anyone out, but the Seder's in tonight's Rosh Chedesh Adar, so Seder's in, yeah, can you believe that? But let me pause for one second. I'll tell you a joke. This is, a real, this is also a dark joke. This is a really dark joke. Um, not as dark as that other one, but pretty dark. Um, the, there was this couple that lived on the land. They were like tenant farmers. They lived on the land of this potitz, the squire, who was <coughs> trying to get them to convert to Christianity. They never would. And finally he said, I'll take your child away if you don't convert. So, so they, they couldn't withstand it, and they, they converted. And it was one time a magid, a, a traveling preacher, a Jewish traveling preacher came to town and he was telling him you have to do tshuva. He was telling him, you're just saying one of these speeches, you know, you have to, you have to repent. And so the husband comes home and he tells the wife, we have to do tshuva, that's it. We, we have to tell the, the potters, we have to tell the squire we're becoming Jewish again no matter what. She's like, you're right, that's it. Go march down there, tell, the, tell him we're becoming Jewish again right now. And he's walking out the door and she says, hold on a second. Pesach is in six weeks. Let's wait till after <laughs> and then we'll become Jewish again. Okay. At any rate. So, Torah is not in heaven. We don't listen to heavenly voices. Very strange statement. Very strange incident. Very difficult to make sense of what even transpired over there. And Abnasan, who was one of the sages, met Elijah the prophet. You're going to see Elijah in six weeks at the Seder. Okay, that's why I got derailed last time. Elijah the prophet, you know Elijah, he went to heaven with his body, so he comes and goes a lot, you know, so he has, he's privileged to see a lot of that stuff. So Reb asked Elijah the prophet, he says, by the way, I always wondered, remember that weird thing that happened, Rabbi Eliezer and the Chachamim were fighting about this oven, about its ritual purity status, and this heavenly voice came out, and... Um, and they rejected it, and they said that we're not, we're not going to listen to a heavenly voice. What did Hashem do? Like, what was Hashem's reaction? And Elijah the prophet says, oh, you want to know what Hashem did? The Holy One, blessed be He, was laughing. And he said, Nitzchuni bonai, nitzchuni bonai. My children have bested me. He said it twice. My children have bested me. So what made God laugh? What's the joke? See, if I would read that, I wouldn't even know it was funny. <coughs> but it made Hashem laugh. And what does it have in it? So then my computer, my Jewish comedy computer, produced the result, and it was that joke. Because what does it have? Okay, it has a religious theme. The whole question of how does Torah law get determined that there's a rabbinic system. It has social critique or punching up or criticizing power structures. In this case, something that seemingly could even be taken as blasphemous, but actually it's not blasphemous at all. It's actually <coughs> the core of our belief that God gave empowerment to the rabbinical system to determine the truth. So it's got that you know, fighting what seems like that, that protest and that fighting against the power structure, but actually it's not heretical, it's the, the opposite of heresy, but it challenges, like I was talking about with my brother, it challenges our notions of what is true belief and what is heretical. It forces us to expand our minds. It's got cleverness, it's very clever, because Rabbi Yeshua thought of that retort on the spot. It's got chutzpah, who argues with a heavenly voice. 
coming straight from God. And it's got the flip because <laughs> he uses Torah against the Torah to say what really is the Torah saying. I mean, it's like, and then the biggest flip of all, that Hashem is getting pleasure from the fact that his children bested him. So that apparently is the archetypical, quintessential, God-tier Jewish joke, according to my Jewish comedy uh, machine computer that I built in my garage. Um, yeah. And then it occurred to me, by the way, another joke that has similar themes, the idea, this idea that for Hashem, what's the greatest pleasure? Being, quote-unquote, defeated by his children or bested by, their cho by his children. The uh, rabbi asked the local priest, if you, uh, he says, Father, if you really do well at your job, what will happen? Will you ever get promoted? He said, oh, well, you know, I guess I could become a bishop. One of our guys made it. You got it. That's <laughs> Finally, somebody besides Chaim got a punchline. What a, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> very good. One of our guys. Okay. So he says, Father, if you really do well at your job, what, what could happen? He says, I could become a bishop, I guess. He's like, well, what if you do really good at that? He's like, well, I mean, it's not very common. I guess I could become a, a cardinal. He's like, well, what if you do really good at that? He's like, well, I mean... There's only one of them, but I, I, mean, I guess I, I could become Pope. He's like, well, what if you do really good at that? He's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, could you go higher than Pope? He's like, what do you want me to be? You, I should become God himself? He's like, one of our boys made it. <laughs> so, <laughs> at any rate, by the way, that's also related. You talk about Jewish mother jokes. This is a Jewish mother joke. This is not actually the typical Jewish mother joke. This is actually a Jewish, a Jewish mother joke that I like because it's warm and it's cute and it's positive, but it's also hilarious. Um, what's the definition of a genius? An average student with a Jewish mother. Okay, an average student with a Jewish mother, that's a genius. So, at any, but what, what, what's the idea there? The idea is that Hashem doesn't just love his people. It's one thing Hashem loves his people, but that Hashem made us his emissaries here in the world to accomplish something that, so to speak, he himself cannot accomplish. The, the, the boulder that is too heavy for God himself to lift. Now, obviously, God is all-powerful. So what, what does it really mean? What it means is that Hashem extended himself into us. Each one of us is an embodiment of the divine and put us in a situation of being in a body, being in a physical world with the temptations and the distractions and with the pain and with the trials and tribulations, and with all the things that happen in a physical world, all the challenges that angels don't know anything about and the souls in heaven, frankly, don't know anything about because it's it's blissful up there. And God extends himself, so to speak. He puts that that divine expression, which is called the neshama, the soul, into each of us. And he says, and now do that thing where you best me, so to speak. Take the tools. Take the tools that I gave you and make me proud. Do something that I didn't do. You know, the, the Rebbe once spoke about this story, story from uh, Bava Metziah, and um, compared it to another Talmudic saying, which is, uh, the sages say, Yofa koyach haben min ho'av, that the, the, the potential of, this, of the son is greater than the father. So the Rebbe <laughs> took those words and unpacked them and said, you know, in, in Hebrew, that, that, that preposition, min, could mean than, but it could also mean from. And both readings are true. That the, the child, his power to, quote-unquote, surpass the father comes from the father. The beautiful power that the child, meaning you, have is min ha'av, comes from the father, comes from Hashem. In other words, is an expression of Hashem. 
So what is the ultimate flip? I told you that the, the, the jokes have to have a flip. The ultimate flip, the ultimate inversion, and the ultimate joke, and not, 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 a, not a silly joke, not a frivolous joke, a very deep, very serious joke, the deepest joke, the most serious joke, is when Hashem gets delighted from watching what we're able to pull off in the situation that we were put into. And to do it all within a framework of Torah. That's delightful. That's amazing. That's astonishing. That we're able to come down, beautiful, pristine souls, into bodies, be in this scary world where there's so much, well, let's say, comedic material, to put it euphemistically, and to be able to keep our dignity, keep our sanity, keep laughing, and to succeed within the framework of Torah. There's, there's nothing more delightful than that. And that's, that's no joke. <laughs> it's a joke, but it's, it's no joke. Okay, anyways, I have like 50 more jokes here, but I have Rachmanes. What?